Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Hondo Carpenter from Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation, Las Vegas Raiders Insider Podcast, part of the Fans First Sports Network. Very proud to be joined by my longtime partner, 14 years doing this on radio and podcasts, and just great to be able to visit with him again, breaking down as we go around the world of the NFL and talking about the Raiders. And, man, it's great to have you with me. He lives in Atlanta, Georgia. Very successful attorney there, and my good friend, the great John Shop. Hi, John. Hey, Tondo. It's always great fun to be here. We're talking, of course, about the NFL, which is starting to inch its way towards meaningful team activities, if you will. Yeah, they're in them right now here with OTAs. I'm going to, you know, be spending significant time there, on, and it's just going to be awesome. A lot going on, man. Do we got a lot to talk about? I, one thing, John, I love about the Raiders. There is always something to talk about with the Raiders, isn't there? There is. And obviously they made a lot of news this week. And what we talked about last week with the ownership talked about it possibly moving fast. It appears to be moving very fast. All right. So Tom Brady and Mark Davis agree on a price for minority ownership. We have no um, information on the percentage or the amount of money yet. I've heard a couple of different things, so I'm not going to throw anything out there until I get it consistently for or from a party directly involved. But here is what we do know. Tom will be a minority owner if approved by the NFL. The approval is expected to be a rubber stamp. And it's going to be fascinating. We've had a lot of players on. We've talked to Drew Stanton, Kyle Cook, Trey Waynes about you know the impact that an owner like that can have on a team. Now that we know what's going to happen, give me some more of your thoughts, and then I'm going to I'm going to walk us through some stuff. Well, first, you think about the idea of a minority owner. It will be interesting to see what it is. You know, ten or fifteen years ago, there was a, a pop star that uh, was supposedly a minority owner of an NBA team. It turned out that he basically owned eight season tickets. That's not exactly what I think we're looking at here. At the same time, and it really doesn't matter what the percentage is, you would think that the slice of the pie is going to be relatively small. It would be a surprise if the Raiders sold 10% of their franchise, to, to be honest. It would be a surprise. So in either case, this is a positive step for the Raiders because at the end of the day, all 32 franchises, there's only one that Tom Brady is going to be a part of. And traditionally, 
very traditionally, there's you're usually not an owner of multiple teams at any point in time. So this is a this is kind of an anchor dropping, is what I mean to say. This is an anchor dropping. This isn't a short stint. This isn't Dan Marino looking at running the Dolphins or somebody looking at maybe buying a piece of a team. So mm-hmm. I expect the impact to be pretty quick. I expect the impact to be relatively far-reaching. You see a situation where Tom Brady's coming to the Raiders. He's familiar with faces that are coaching and organizing and managing the franchise. You would think that would be good. I would think it'd be more good than bad. But you're also dealing with a guy that's going to have very high expectations and demands, which is a great thing for the franchise. You think about some of the places you've worked and maybe some people pull their weight. Some people never seem to pull their weight. Some people pull more than their weight. I think the only thing you can expect from Tom Brady is he's going to pull far more than his weight, if you will. I don't think he's just showing up to see what's happening. I think he wants to get engaged and remain competitive at the NFL level. For whatever reason, he decided he can't play anymore. Out that goes. And it did not take very long for him to say, all right, I'm not done with the NFL yet. I'm just going to be coming in here as an owner, which is a whole different set of strings to pull. But I expect he's going to start pulling strings as soon as he is formally announced after that rubber stamp. I'm not going to name the player because of what they told me, but I was talking to a player in the National Football League, a current player, current. um, I don't know that you would call him a star, but he has been a pro bowler more than once. Um, I mean, to me, I just, the term star, there are so few that are stars. That's why I say that, but he's a pro bowler. And I said to him, would Tom Brady being part of a franchise make any relevancy to you when you pick a team? He's not a Raider. And he said to me, something I thought was pretty fascinating. I want to, I want to read this to you because I think it said something. He said, I don't know that it would be the deciding factor, but it would certainly be part of the things that go into factoring it. He goes, I think, and I'm not a basketball guy, although I love basketball. You see with Michael Jordan, it really hasn't helped Charlotte, but it certainly has helped in other leagues with other teams. Look at the Dodgers and the people that have mentioned wanting to play with Magic Johnson. If he influenced the franchise, with his legendary will to win, if he was around and in the building, yeah, I think it would be a big deal. It's all going to depend on the level of his involvement. I thought that was an interesting quote. What do you think? I think it's probably pretty accurate. You know, if you look at the other end of the NFL spectrum, if you will, an owner on the way out that was charging his franchise money to use his own logo and some of the other laundry list of ridiculousness that you saw around the DC franchise you would think that that would do something to keep some guys away. And I think it had kept players away. When you look around the league elsewhere, you may have folks that are real interested or more interested in playing for a franchise that has a better owner, whether it's somebody that's totally hands-off or whether it's somebody that's hands-on in a good way. So there is some curiosity as to what Brady's role is going to be. Is he going to be in the building, kind of chatting people up, patting people on the back, kicking them in the tail. Is he going to be hands off? Totally. You know, there was some criticism of John Elway around the Denver Broncos that you could probably share a whole lot more than me as to what he was doing. Was he sticking his nose too far in early on in his time there in Denver? And obviously that time is over. 
So I do think it's a great idea to be skeptical and curious, but I also think he's coming in here with the plan. I don't think Tom Brady is showing up to Las Vegas without an extensive plan that will be revealed at the right time in the right manner and order. This is an organized guy. This is not a fly-by-night decision. Well, I, I I was told this by two different people in the NFL, and it was pretty much the same thing, so I believe it. They all said clearly he's not the majority owner. Mark Davis is going to be still be that. But if you think he's coming in to be a silent owner, you're a fool. I thought told that by two people, one who works for the league, one who works very close to an owner in the league. What do you think of that? I thought that was an interesting statement. I think that's what to expect. Um, towards the end of his career, Tom Brady became more vocal and descriptive of some of the things that drove him and some of the things that he thought separated his success from others. And I always got the impression that that was still something that was being worked on, that he still saw ways to improve, still loved the game, still loved the idea of getting better. And again, I don't think that he was out of skill uh, here at retirement. I don't think he was out of skill at all. I take the decision to come back, if you will, retire from the Patriots and then come back as a sign that the guy just loves it. So, yeah, I don't expect him to come out guns blazing, calling shots and making a bunch of news that's not backed up. But I expect he's rolling in with the disciplined idea of here's some things that work. Here's some things that didn't work. A lot of this has probably already been cleared and screed and agreed upon with Mark Davis. There may be some things that Tom Brady can do and say that uh, Mark Davis or somebody in his position can't because he didn't play, because he didn't just come out of the league, because he didn't just win all these games in Super Bowls. So I love the idea. If I'm the Raiders, I want people to underestimate this. I want people to say this is nothing. I want people to knock this and, and even try to make fun of Tom Brady, because if you dig into him a little bit, he's usually going to try to flip the pancake much bigger and bolder and the guy knows how to do it he knows probably a lot more about what it takes to be effective defensive tackle in the nfl than people think he knows a lot more about what needs to be done at the line of scrimmage by a quarterback i'm thinking than a whole lot of the coaching staffs in the nfl not to knock them but i believe he's got a really big time strong football computer up there and he probably knows and sees some things that others don't it's not just a, a manner of the other folks can't execute it the other quarterbacks in the league can't figure this out or execute it i get the impression from listening to him for years for 20 some years that there are things that he sees and it blows his mind that other people don't see this or that and if they did this or that they would get a better result i gotta tell you i Someone also said to me, as close as he is to Josh, he goes, I, I just think it may it helps Josh. I think it makes the team better having another set of eyes that they trust looking at things. I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Absolutely. Let, let's say you're an NFL coach and you're trying to coach players up to, to do certain things in certain ways, and they're not responding to you. And I don't know what the tolerance is at the NFL level, but after a couple of times of you demonstrating as a player that you're not going to perform your duties on the field the way we asked you, my hands are going to start to be thrown up as a coach. And all of a sudden, if we have a little meeting or a owner pops down on the sideline and says, hey, what's going on here? Or maybe gets in the face like Tom Brady can, 
maybe that player takes that coaching differently. So I don't think he's going to come in here to be that guy. But if anyone thinks Tom Brady would take five seconds to hesitate in getting in a professional football player's face who's not doing his job as coached, I think they're crazy. There's a plenty of track record of that guy on tape getting in people's kitchen as recently as the final game he played in the NFL. This is only going to help Josh McDaniels. There's no two ways around it. John, the NFL is changing some kickoff rules. I'd like to hear your thoughts and analysis. I think this is a step backwards for a couple of reasons. Number one, this is pro football. If you call for a fair catch, the ball should be spotted where you call for a fair catch. There should be no bailout. This isn't high school football. This isn't college football. This is the highest level of the sport. I don't think that's the right move. Number two, we've seen amazing progress at the XFL level with the kickoff. We've seen the blockers and the uh, uh, attackers separated by about five yards further down the field. I think that is the future. The question is, where do you put them and how soon can it get there? I did not like this news when I heard it. I think it's a bad move, but I also wonder if it tees up that move as soon as 2024. And the third thing that really has begun to trouble me, Hondo, and people are just blown right over, why is the ball being spotted at the 25? That's I, I just think that's too far up the field. I don't know why we moved from the 20, and I think it needs to go back there, especially if you're going to be fair catch anywhere, spotted at the 25. We're neutralizing the kickoff here. There's a better way to do it. More than 10 years ago, you and I talked about the idea of, well, let's start by eliminating the ability of players to run up before the ball is kicked. And Rich McKay and company did that. We haven't seen as much progress since then. I really think the future is deciding where to stick the players, how far apart, and then as the ball goes over their head, then they may engage. If they engage before then, it's a false start. Um, That's the future. We all get the idea of eliminating concussions. We want to do that. We also understand that we can't do that 100%. But I think we can do a lot better than anywhere you call a fair catch. It's going to the 25 at the NFL level. I just think it's, I don't think it's appropriate for this level of play. Yep. I totally hate it. All right. Let's go through the next. We went through the first four Raider games last time. I want to go through the next four. Um, So you may remember I predicted last time that the Raiders uh, at this point in the season would be one and three. Now we turn to Monday, October 9th. The Green Bay Packers come to town. Monday night football. I think the Raiders get them, and I think they improve their winning record at this point at through five games at two and three. I'd love your thoughts. My thoughts are that this begins an interesting section of the schedule. The way I look at it, I kind of draw a line there on October 1st, and I see the second part of their schedule from October 9th up to um, the date at the Dolphins on November 19th. So I see that section as a second section of seven games. We're talking about the next four. So it's interesting because you got two at home and two on the road. You've got games that you really are going to have to to find a way to win at least two of those. And to have a really good season, I think you got to win three. So you've got the two games at home, the Packers is, and, and the Patriots, you'd think on paper right now, which is way, way down the road from the actual game, you think that it's more likely that the Raiders can handle the Packers at home, but very possible that they should have a chance to win both. 
You then go to Chicago. Whoa, you're going ahead of us. We're trying to talk about each game one-on-one. And we're staying, we're staying at Green Bay. That's a game you, you would expect to win. You don't know what you're going to get with Jordan Love. You have no idea what the Packers are going to be like without Aaron Rodgers. To be honest with you, if you're going to have a good season and compete for a playoff, you have to win that game. have to. Then the next game is the Patriots. That They come back, play six days later on a Sunday. <clears throat> I think they get the pack and move to three and three. I don't know exactly what to expect from New England. I'm sorry. I think they beat the pack, but then in comes New England and they get the Pats. I said pack. I meant Pats. And they moved to three and three. I'm sorry. Yeah. I knew what you were saying. I was giving you the S there on Pats. We don't know for sure what to expect from New England, but I do think it's a fascinating coaching matchup because you've got the professor and the student or students, if you will. I don't think it's going to be easy. I'd expect it to be a lot closer than the Green Bay game. But because they're at home, I think with a little momentum, I like the Raiders in another classic NFL, very close one. Then they go on the road. This is October 22nd to play Chicago. And uh, this is a game I think they lose. Now, it's one I very well think they could win. In fact, you know how I do my analysis. I go through and say if they played 10 times, who would win? And if it's five, then I give if it's five and five, I always give the advantage to the home team. I had this one at five and five. So I'm going to give it to the Bears, but I think it's very close, but I think they lose and go to three and four. The Bears have some turmoil in a way because where are they going to play football? What are they going to do with their stadium situation? And I think there's faux turmoil with the quarterback situation. I don't think they have anything to worry about then. I think the thing that probably determines this game is what kind of progress does Justin Fields make from today to that game? If he makes a lot of progress, I think the Raiders are in big trouble. If he does not, or if the Bears continue to to struggle a bit, this is a toss-up game. So I'm actually going to give the edge on this one to the Raiders because I think the Bears are another year away from a significant improvement. All right. And then lastly, we end eight days later, Monday, October 30th. Of course, I'll be there, man. I don't know how many games I've been to at Ford Field, but um, they go in and they play the Lions on Monday Night Football. Now, I'm going to say this to you, John, because this one was a tough one for me. Um, The Lions, I I think Vegas has their winnings at 9.5 games. I just can't get there. I, I just can't get there with the Lions, but I still have the, the again, it was five and five. I'm going to go with the Lions, and I think that they're four games into the season, three and five. I still said I made my prediction if Jimmy's injured, they get seven wins. If he's not, they get nine. And uh, so with this prediction, I, I have them winning nine games. So I see him right here at three and five after eight games. Your thoughts? When I look at this where it sits in the schedule for both teams, I think it's going to end up being a little bit more of a must-win for both if they want to have a really good season. A lot of interest in the Lions. Anytime you have a hard knocks year, there's interest. Their coach was a player. He's a fiery guy. There's interest. I think they have questions at the quarterback position that are not solid. I don't think that they're quite where, where folks would like them to be. Traditionally, I would look at this as a slip and fall on your face game for the Lions. 
the place is going to be jacked. And folks may not know Ford Field is a really good dome stadium. It's a nice size. It's it's mm. pretty darn spiffy and it's it's tight. I would give the edge in this one to the Lions only because they're at home. But this is a game, again, if either team wants to compete for a playoff spot and have a really good season, they got to win this game on Monday night on the big stage. It is a, I think it's going to be a must win for either team if they want to have a season they believe they're capable of having. 100% agree with you, John. 100%. I think that... Uh... Yeah, and that's why those two games I have 50-50s. So I have them at three and five after eight games. Where do you have them? I, I have them I, – I, I hate to say I have them at four and four, but I got them at four and four. As ridiculous right. as that, that sounds the NFL way. And I know they're all big. They're all big, yes. But right. if you look at the calendar, you can hopefully pick out three or four games that are bigger. I got a feeling that Monday night game – for both of those teams is really going to be big. Look at it where it is in the season. You're talking about the day before Halloween. So there's only that much time left. I got a feeling whoever loses that one is, is probably headed a little bit South from there for the rest of the year. Green. Um, I want to talk to you next about the NFL changing its gambling rules. Um, I've talked with. Man, eight or nine players in the last week, one Raider, but eight or nine players about it. And every one of them says, said to me, I mean, you got to be an idiot to be gambling. I mean, you know the rules. And, and you know, I'm going to say something, and you know this because you've been in media a long time. You were a TV guy. Um, we've got great relationships with players in media. And, and you know that because you've worked with me for 14 years. They'll talk to us. And they trust us because we don't say what they tell us unless we can or whatever. But again, one player said to me, you have to be stupid to get in trouble with the gambling rules. You know what they, he goes, there are some rules that I think are pretty dumb and the NFL is duplicitous on. He said, but there is no wondering with gambling. If you get in trouble with gambling. It's literally because you thought you were so smart you could beat the system. And you know this, it's hard to get NFL players to agree with everything. It's hard. And all of them said essentially that. If you get busted for gambling, you're an idiot. Go ahead. You know, you would think that the experience of Calvin Ridley would be the biggest possible warning you could have. And that would be enough. To not hear the, the sirens coming for you. It's not yeah. worked. We've seen trouble no. since then. The magical thing going on with these gambling apps is they're almost all on the phone. And they are getting better and better. And they've got location services. And they've got red alerts that go off. If somebody places a bet near or inside an NFL facility, alerts are going off. And you still have guys that aren't learning. So what I take from this early age of the NFL gambling and without any question restricting players and probably not too far off restricting pretty much anybody closely associated with them as, as, as legally as they can is that there's always going to be a problem. Apparently out of the hundreds of players in the league, I bet you we're going to see a couple of these a year. The NFL is doing the right thing by trying to hammer them hard right out of the gate and by stressing over and over. I mean, let, let's not, 
dance around it. Do you do you want a result like Calvin Ridley? No, but it's still become a problem. It is amazing to me that the players are a little bit behind in realizing the power of the location services on all your different major gambling apps. It's not um, it's not going to happen from your own phone, your own account. It's crazy. I, I don't know how much it's even going to be allowed to happen from inside of your household. You know, if I were a player, I would be very alert to my cousin or my uncle or my brother. Don't press the button on the phone when you're sitting in my house or on my property because location services is going to click something off saying we have a red, you know, red, red flag alert from a certain property. And then there's some kind of computer investigation. It's okay. That's not the NFL player, but still, do you want that? Do you want that focus? No. The players are their own worst enemy here. If, if, if They got to figure it out. And we will see if this is now enough with the, the players that have been busted most recently to, to stop it. But I got a feeling it's not. I got a feeling we're going to see another guy sitting out for an entire year because of a ridiculous small wager, probably not even on the NFL. Yeah, and I've heard there's some things brewing not in the NFL, but some other places too about gambling, some other sports. I, I want to tell you something I learned from an NFL player this week that I thought was fascinating. You know, uh, he said, you are not allowed to associate with a known gambler. And the player is not a Raider player, but he said to me, all of our families go to Vegas. We hold Pro Bowls in Vegas. And he said, so if when I if I go to Vegas and my wife puts a dollar in a slot machine, I'm technically breaking the rules. I mean, he, he said at some point, he said, I listen to for me, to, for a player to get busted for betting on pro football games. He goes, you're an idiot. I mean, those are his words. He says, I get it. We all know. He goes, but it's the, all the ancillary rules that make no sense. He goes, when gambling's legal, I can't help if he goes, so I'm supposed to not be friends with my parents. He goes, my mother goes to Vegas every year. She's a slot machine addict. I thought that was pretty funny. She's a slot machine addict. And he said, and she doesn't bet on NFL. And he just goes, at some point we're going to have to, he goes, he even said, I have no problem if you bet on NFL or you have anyone bet on NFL for you, you're gone. You're out of the league. He called it Pete Rose. You're Pete Rose. He said, but this other stuff's got to be changed. He said, because it's completely unenforceable. And he told me, he goes, Hondo, how many people do we know that don't gamble? And uh, you know this with me. Um, I don't gamble. I cover sports. You know, that's been that way for years. I cover sports. So, I mean, you know, occasionally, like a couple of years ago, I made a bet with a guy who's a Michigan Wolverine fan that works in the media, and I took Michigan State. And I won, thank God. Got wands, flaming fajitas. But, I mean, I don't bet cash. I don't I, – I just don't do all that because I work in it, and I don't want to do anything to to for people to think my writing or whatever is being skewed because of it. But I like what that player said. Hey, you, you want to bet on football? NFL football, you can be Pete Rose, but at some point there's got to be clarification. Dear God, John, you're an attorney. You know this. A lot of idiocy gets lost in the minutiae. It does. And yeah, I mean, the traditional classic no gambling policy for the NFL 
was great for decades and decades. It is a new era. They're going to be catching up from behind a little bit. And they should be able to figure out a way to uh, carve the turkey, if you will, to make it clear. Uh, for example, can spouse or immediate family members have their own accounts? Can they gamble from the locations? It's very clear that any gambling from a location that's an NFL property, like a, a football building or this, you know, stadium, locker room, et cetera, is going to send off an alarm. They can catch up with that. There certainly is a difference, I think, between professional gambling or gambling for certain stakes and somebody that's playing a card game, uh, playing a slot, has nothing to do with sports. And then, okay, you get into sports, college and pro, and then you get into, are we in the actual sport? Are we betting on the actual team? So with the technology that's here, with the technology that's coming, I think this will funnel itself down and probably be taken care of. It's understandable that the NFL and other sports are a little bit behind. It is quite honestly pretty troubling to see what happened at the college level with the college baseball game. That's something that you cannot have. And for those that follow this deeply, look back at games that were fixed in professional tennis around the world in decades past. That's obviously the disaster that will not happen. I'm very confident that that's not going to happen at the NFL level. But the best way to keep it from even being in the conversation is to snap with great penalty and swift action any NFL player that does anything close to as as wildly dumb as Calvin Ridley did. And I don't think we're done seeing that. There are months to go. There are NBA playoffs. There are um, mistakes that can happen with thumbs. I don't know if we're done seeing players get busted before before training camp and before the season kicks off, I bet you we have one or two more. I've been friends with you for about 15 years and you, I, I love your sense of humor. I think Alicia and I both love your sense of humor, but I've never, mistakes can happen with your thumbs. Maybe the funniest thing with the thumbs. Said. We've seen it. Uh, we've spoken like a true lawyer. Next Roger Goodell gets extended through March of 27. Um, you're seeing several people leak that then he's going to move on. I think there is a strong um, sentiment among owners. Um, Rogers made him a lot of money, but I don't think. Um, let's just say he's not loved around the league like some previous commissioners have been. Um and and I think it's good that he's going to move on. I'm 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 be honest. I am not a huge Roger Goodell fan. Um, don't like some of the decisions he's going to make, but I, I give him a hundred percent credit. The league financially is in great shape, so he gets credit for that. I think there's a lot of other areas that it's really lacking. You saw Jim Ursay of the Colts. I think it was to Yahoo, but talked about a potential plan that when he goes, there'll be a CEO of the league, but there's going to almost be a czar just of football. You know, let's keep the CEO, the CEO out. I think Roger pissed off a lot of people um, by trying to get into football stuff and he's not a football guy. I know for years, Nick Saban has kind of quietly lobbied. The NCAA needs a czar of football. I, I like what Ursay put out there. 
I think it would be great to have a business person run the league and then have a czar of football, somebody that knows the game. I mean, I, obviously not anymore, but it could have been a Bill Parcells, could have been a Tom Brady, who not now because he's going to be an owner, but somebody that knows the league, understands the league, a Joe Montana, you know, any number of players. I mean, there are so many. Gene Upshaw would have been a guy that obviously not with us, but you know what I mean. Uh, great people that know the game. I want you to talk about Goodell's, you know, obviously what I, do you agree or disagree with what I said about the business? I think he's hurt the game though. Do, what do you think about Ursay's comments with a dual leadership? Your thoughts? Well, first of all, I, I'm of the school that pro commissioners by and large have the jobs for far too long. I just think as a, as a blanket rule, uh, Gary Bettman, for example, been around way too long. And in future decades, guys that have that job, guys, gals, people that have that job, they're going to have it for a lot less time. That's the first thing I, I think. The second thing is we always have to remember, and so many of us fans forget, that the commissioners work for the owners first. So before you get all up in arms about Roger Goodell being extended again or Gary Bettman still being the commissioner of the NFL or on and on, you remember that those guys work for the owners. Yeah, and you you remember that those guys work for the owners. Um Ideally, a commissioner should not be universally loved. He's going to tell a number of people things that they don't want to hear because they are not in the best interest for their team, but maybe in the best interest for their league. So I don't have a problem with the non-universal love. I think that's actually probably a good thing. Um, I do like the idea in the future of having a – a CEO and a COO, but kind of of like that. You've got a CEO, vision, plan, business-wise, and, and maybe a COO or a czar of football that is in charge of the football decisions. Without getting it to be too bureaucratic and too many people, that seems like a reasonable thing to do. And as the sport has become bigger and bigger, and as we have dozens of players retiring each year and getting into different levels of of the game and coaches as well, I think there's a great opportunity for that. And the best time to do that is probably at that transition to the next commissioner. So a lot of success, of course, the game has exploded beyond belief. Uh, the commissioner is always probably going to get more credit now than they, that they deserve. Uh, there's so much of the NFL fiber that Pete Rozelle laid out that really set the table and there's things that Paul Tagliabu did and there's things that Roger Goodell did to help keep this thing going as it really exploded into the most popular form of entertainment in this country. Roger one Goodell thing, would though, do well. I'm sorry. I, I, he would do well to get out on top and not stay too long if that's possible. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, I don't, I, this John Gruden lawsuit is looming. And mm -hmm. I don't think that's good news for the NFL. We're going to talk more about that in another session, but I'm just hearing a lot. I've written about it once. Um, I, I, this is not going to be a good thing for the NFL. And, and I think giving them that four years, I think is probably a time frame of when John's thing would actually get to trial. So it's going to be fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Not much, not much good comes out of those. There's really usually no upside to information 
testimony, evidence being outed in a civil case like that. There's usually no upside for either party, but especially the defending party. There's usually no upside, as we've seen recently, and we'll see again. But between now and the time that suit ever actually gets to trial. 100% agree. All right. Just a few more things, but we have a few things. We want to talk about three more things. Um, I loved, I, I, I used to be a big baseball guy. I used to enjoy it. I used to love going to old tiger stadium. Um, used to go to Comerica all the time. And, and when I, you know, lived in Michigan, would go down and cover the tigers. Um, and I used to love that, that the commissioner used to have a thing where he could make a decision that was in the best interest of baseball. I thought it was the best commissionership rule of any of the leagues because a commissioner does work for the owners. But it was a place where the commissioner could say to the owners, listen, you're wrong. Players, you're wrong. And in the interest of the game of baseball, I'm going to make this decision. I'm not sure that I trust Roger Goodell to do that. Um, I, like I said, I'm not a big Roger Goodell fan. But I, if they make that switch in 27, I think you got to give your football czar the authority that says, listen, you can make decisions in the best interest of football. I mean, the union in the in the in the in the league have to agree on pricing. But, you know, salary cap, all that. But you can make decisions in the best interest of football. I think to me, I just think that is a no brainer. Do you agree or disagree with me on that? Well, we agree that it's a no brainer. And um, there was that time in baseball and there probably were eventually enough owners that didn't like that. And that's when they snatched that away. The same thing. Has it been officially in- snatched? Has it been officially snatched? Um. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the commissioner in baseball now is a, a wildly criticized figure, but I think it's very clear and obvious that he's not operating with autonomy to make the best decisions for the sport. Um, and yeah, that's I was probably not happened. sure if it had been snatched, but I was sure that it that the owners had been telling them, don't do that again. Yeah, it's not like it was. And I'm sure it's not in, in the NFL also. As new owners come in and old owners go out, um, you know, I think of hockey, we can go down a list of some notoriously cheap owners that had their time. And when uh, they passed on, those franchises took off and new ideas, different way of looking at it. So how much are we looking at it from a business perspective? How much are we looking at it from what's best for the interest of the game? What you uh, lay out is ideal. That's what everyone would love to get to. I think that's what they have by and large at Augusta National. The Masters is an event that's run every year in the same place. And there's basically a few people and one guy that has been tasked by their membership of hundreds of folks to make the best decisions for the Masters tournament. And on a year by year basis, there's not an event in professional sports that does a better job of that. And it's also a very closed shop. So the idea of the uh, ownership of the NFL realizing that it's in their best interest to set aside responsibilities and some autonomy for somebody to make the best decisions in the interest of the game and the sport, I think is a great idea. And it would be a piece of progress. I don't think it's necessarily the way the wind is blowing. So we would need to see a change. And I tell you what would really help that is on the way out. If Roger Goodell himself said, this is what the NFL needs next. It needs somebody who can make 
independent decisions based on what's best for the NFL. And the NFL has a history of doing that. It's got the best league. It's got the best organization in professional sports. And a lot of that has been decisions made by commissioners decades ago that were in the better or best interests of the sport versus the individual franchises. We are old enough to remember when Jerry Jones bought the Cowboys and began to stir the pot and it looked like he wanted to grab money there and grab money there and do things that hadn't been done in the NFL. And a lot of that was shaken off. And over time, those two have kind of come together. It's not like the Cowboys are out trying to break rules today. They're trying to grow the pie, as Jerry Jones says. Well, that's a great idea, but it was a little rough at first. What would be great for the NFL as they look towards 2030 is to have a commissioner on the way out that says, hey, the sport would be better if this happens, and here's why. And go ahead and beat that drum for a couple of years. There's going to be owners behind the scenes that probably aren't going to want to hear that. That's fine. There's always going to be people that are into it for their own interest more than the interest of the Shield and the NFL at large. The great thing about the NFL is that when you look at the paper right now, the screen in front of you, you got a good argument that a lot of the franchises can literally compete for a championship this year, and they're on a relatively even playing field. When you look across at baseball, just look at a list of the salaries and look at how many of those franchises have no chance at all to possibly compete for a championship or even make the playoffs. There's no question which sport is in better shape, but the point that you make is valid. It's visionary, and it's really something that Roger Cadell can help put a shine on his legacy on the way out if he's the guy mm-hmm. championing, hey, here's what the sport needs to do next. They need to have a guy with a gal with this decision-making power, the best interest of the sport. That would be fantastic. I, and maybe a little too much to ask, but that would be really fantastic, especially when you contrast what's gone on in other sports where it's like, what is this other team even doing on the field? Okay. Now I want to go to two more topics. I've been talking to several players about this, that they would like to see once a player's vested, which means he's in the, you know, in, in the, in the league that when they retire, they get health care for life. Now, right now it's for a limited, I think it's for five years, but they said to me, you know what, I, I even would be willing to take less money for healthcare for life. One player said to me, I would be willing, he goes, I'm a veteran. And I'm talking to some of the other guys who've retired. He goes, I so believe in it that go back to this year's rookie class. He goes, so I wouldn't get it, but I'd still be willing to take less money for the future of the game. He goes, for the people that took less money for me and my future of the game. He said to just at some point say, he goes, or to randomly say, okay, with 2025 class, if once you vested, you get health care, free health care for life. And and uh, we talked about that. What do you think of that? I thought that was fascinating. Well, it's more possible than ever with the amount of dollars that uh, players in the league are earning. So it's more likely that something like that could happen in uh, 2025 than it would have been in 1995. It would be in the best interest of the sport as far as goodwill with obviously folks that have played long enough to be vested. And I do think it's possible um, that it can be done a couple different ways. You know, 
the NFL dollars are going to get big enough if they're not already that they could practically set up their own insurance or self-insure such health care. So I think it's probably a lot more possible than players realize and that owners would admit. I say that doing a good bit of work with health care, dealing with costs, list price versus what actually can be paid or accepted for treatment, et cetera. It's something that needs to be done looking forward. Um, that's probably the easiest way to start it. Of course, it needs to be done going back. The NFL has taken some massive scars in recent years, really ugly scenes and scars um, that are well, well documented. And there's nothing that can be done about those now in reality, except taking the lesson and applying it forward. This is one where the players should be loud about it. They should be loud about it right now up to the point where they really start preparing for the season with training camp. It's one where they can take some initiative and make some progress. And I think it's one where there's enough dollars that this is a lot closer to a reality than a pipe dream that it might have seemed even 15 years ago. Well, the last subject you want to talk about is the Colts. And, and and it's the Colts versus Dan Snyder, their history and the final tampering allegations. Your thoughts on this one? These guys didn't like each other, did they? What about, you know, when it comes time to finally kick Dan Snyder out the door, Ursay's just chomping at the bit and like, here it comes, throwing it out there. And then they're going back and forth. And it looks like finally the NFL is rid of Dan Snyder. But Ursay's not done. He's going to say, tamper it. You guys tampered with Andrew Luck. And who knows who talked to who or how they went around it. But I'm curious, is this the end? Is there another shot or two? Yes. Jim Irsay will take shots down the road at talking about owners that are not around anymore, not in the league anymore. And I can't wait to see what kind of jabs he has uh, against Dan Snyder. These guys don't like each other. I don't think they liked each other for a while. And now it's it's kind of turned into WWF. Uh, back and forth, but to be honest, I don't. Snyder hadn't said much. I guess he he's got to let the check clear and go through, and then he can probably say whatever he wants. But this is kind of funny. I didn't see this coming. And when you see like a, a tampering allegation, the NFL even has to officially look at it. I kind of wonder what's next, you know. So this, I get a kick out of this because I these are two franchises that have had great histories, but not really great presence, and one has had an awful. T- well, nearly the entire Snyder ownership awful for, for the DC franchise. But I think this is funny. And I, I wonder, is this it? Or is there going to be a couple more jabs? Because this one, this was really late. It's like, oh, tampering also. Guys already sold the team. So I get a kick out of it. Jim Mercy, the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> as long as he's around, as long as he's talking, there's going to be some wacky stuff coming out. And uh I wonder what he's going to pick on next because I'm not sure. Maybe he's got another uh, another couple things in the shelf behind him that he can pull out and say, oh, yeah, they also did this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, saying stuff. He's the great Johnny Shop. Uh, I'm Hondo Carpenter from Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation, Las Vegas Raiders Insider Podcast, part of the Fans First Sports Network. John's got a new podcast coming up on Fan First Sports Network. John, tell him what it is. We're going to be talking about Michigan State athletics, all things green and white coming in June. Go and green. The name of it is Spartan Pride Podcast. 
Spartan Pride Podcast. So a lot of going on with John. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. You know, we are growing exponentially. Tens of thousands of people are watching our podcast. And just want you to know, we appreciate you. Thank you for watching. You're the best. Thanks, Johnny. This has been a Las Vegas Raiders Insider production on the Fans First Sports Network.